We're starting a new series in Hebrews. It's called uh, Everything Starts with Jesus. Hebrews is an interesting book. We don't know who wrote it. Uh, there's a lot of conjecture about that. Uh, we do know that it was actually probably a sermon that someone kind of read. So it's kind of weird that we're doing sermons on a sermon, but it's the Word of God, so hopefully that'll be fine. And today we're going to start out, uh, Hebrews, kind of the, the overarching theme of the book is, is how great Jesus is. How great. And so we're going to start out in just the first four verses, we're going to hear how great Jesus is. So let's, uh, this is the NIV. In the past, God spoke to our ancestors through the prophets at many times and in various ways. But in these last days, he has spoken to us by his son, whom he appointed heir of all things, and through whom also he made the universe. The son is the radiance of God's glory and the exact representation of his being, sustaining all things by his powerful word. And after he had provided uh, purification for sins, he, Jesus, sat down at the right hand of the majesty of God in heaven, the Father. So he became as much superior to the angels as the name he has inherited is superior to theirs. Um, you might not, you, it's hard to hear it in English, but there's a lot of poetry in this, in the Greek. Um, there's a section where there's five words that all start with P, pa, 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 pa. There, it, it's, it's designed to like kind of build you up. And uh, they think maybe uh, some of this is uh, borrowed from hymns that Christians used to sing. And so it's, it's, it's rhapsodic, it's, it's glorious, it's excited. This is how great Jesus is. Well, how great is he? Let's, let's uh, pick it apart. Let's, let's spend some time with the text and, 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 and hear more. First, God used to speak uh, to our ancestors, uh, our ancestors, the uh, writer is Jewish. And so the ancestors are like the, the Jewish people from what we think of as the Old Testament. A lot of, lot of different ways, like, like God gave the law. Uh, then God sent prophets and sp- spoke through them. But, but now something different and something better is happening. He's speaking to us through his son. What does that mean? How, 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 do, how does he speak to us by his son? Well, dating, it's a thing. And Alice is 11 years old. What? Is it embarrassing you don't like this? <laughs> you definitely like it. All right. She's 11, so she's not allowed to date. But like her mother before her, she's boy crazy, which is awful, and I hate it. But fortunately for me, I thought, I thought, well, guys, you know, t- typically don't start blossoming until, you know, 13, 14, so we got some time. Eh, wrong. We went to SeaWorld a couple, like about a month ago, I think, and uh, this kid, um, Jacob Burke, I don't think they're here, but uh, Jacob Burke's younger brother, Aiden, he's 12, came with us. To SeaWorld. And I mean, I don't know if you've seen this kid, Aiden. You probably haven't. He, I don't think he's been here that much, but uh, wow, what curly brown locks on this little guy. Tell you what. And so during the time at SeaWorld, at one point, he's like, hey, do you have a crush on me? What? Dude, who is this kid? He's 12. And Alice is like, oh. and in her heart she said, yes. Anyway, they're, they're friends because they're not allowed to be boyfriend girl. We don't tolerate that. Um, she's not allowed to date until she's 30. Um, but, but it doesn't mean that they can't, you know, hang out. And um, the, the problem is they've been hanging out and, and 
the, the topic of conversation is stuff like, are you allowed to hold hands? Like, what? Dude, you know I have a nine millimeter in my house, right, kid? Like, you get that, right? And I'm actually a pretty good shot. Like, I'm not bad. Um, <laughs> and so I, I was, you know, I was trying to tell Alice, like, look, okay, the whole point of dating, the point of dating, which you can't do, you're just friends, uh, the point of dating is to find someone um, that you can do life with that you love for the rest of your life, okay? That's the point, okay? What we're trying to do is we're trying to find somebody who has the qualities and the characteristics that make it worth your time to be with them and to build a life together. And, you know, I totally get, like, those brown curly locks are beautiful. But, dude, those things might be gone by the time he's 30. Like, MPB, man, it's a thing. My point is this, though. Uh, one of the things I, I've learned over the years is that it doesn't matter, you know, how long you date. And now, now the, the, the cool thing is, you know, living together, right? Well, if we just live together, then sur- surely we'll figure out, you know, what, what makes a marriage that, that lasts. But statistically speaking, that's not the case. Um, there are just as many divorces of people who live together as, as those who didn't. And, and the fact of the matter is, um, we as human beings aren't, we're actually really good at deceiving each other. And so what happens during the dating process is we lie to each other consistently to get the other person to love us. We, uh, they've done studies where um, they, they, they ask employers, like their process for hiring. And what they did is they, they set up two different types of hiring. One was you get the resume, and then you do an interview, and then you make a decision. The other was no interview at all, just resume, just past work. You could, like, call the, the former bosses or whatever, and that's all you could do. And it turns out that after five years, the employers who did the interviews were less satisfied with their employees than the ones who didn't. Because an interview is like dating. And they're like, hey, so what are your weaknesses? You're like, well, I care too much. I just put in too many hours, honestly. I, I can't stop working. I, I, I over-communicate and I, and I take on too many tasks. But luckily I'm strong enough to be able to do all of them. Well, it turns out that's, that's not a really great. I mean, we still do interviews. I don't know why. The science says we shouldn't, but we do. Similarly, you don't know what it's like to be with someone until you're with them under the vows of marriage. You just don't. Once marriage begins, once it starts, like you start to find out stuff about your partner. Some of it's great. Some of it's not. But you're in it now. And you have to figure out a way to make it work. And ideally, you find a way to create deep and lasting love. Well, this is similar to the way that God, what we think of as the Old Testament, the way that God was speaking to the world in the Old Testament. It was a little bit like dating. Um, God was like, he was speaking through the prophets. This is how you, you, oft, you need to operate. He's speaking through the law. This is what holiness looks like. And during that time, unfortunately, Israel missed a lot of stuff. It's not God miscommunicating. God's word is perfect and holy and, and, satisfi- and, and sufficient to, to, to do all things. It was our inability, our inability to see through. We missed it. So what is God going to do? What's the only way? If, if the, da- the dating's not working, it's, it's marriage time. 
you're going to find out exactly who I am and what I'm like because I am going to be with you. I am going to live with you. I am going to share with you. I am going to love you. And then you will start to understand who I am. That's the first thing in your note sheets. In Christ, God showed us himself by being with us. And that, if that's the case, it should bring up a couple of questions, some, some things to think about as we're, okay, if, if that's what happened with God, if God's with us, what does that mean for our lives? How, what, you know, Jesus isn't here now. He's mediated to us by the Spirit. But a couple of questions. The first question, in what ways did God's being with us in Jesus come as a surprise? Okay? Ask yourself this question. This question. When, when God comes in Christ— it was surprising in some ways. And this is a real question. Anyone, can anyone come up with a way in which it was a, Jesus was a surprise? Not what was expected. Anybody? Real question. Born in a manger. Excellent. Yes. Comes not as a king, but as a peasant. Right? Uh, if you're expecting, like, the Lord of the universe to come, you would expect the Lord of the universe to come on a big white horse with a, you know, like an Aladdin, when he was Prince Ali. That, that's what you expect, but what you actually get is somebody who identifies with and is, is part of the marginalized, the outsiders. What does that tell you about God? Another one, uh, how would you expect his ministry to go? Um, another surprise, anybody? Well, I'll tell you, you would expect Jesus' ministry to be a rousing success that ends with everyone being like, Jesus is the king. Not how it went. In fact, it went really, really badly to the point that Jesus was murdered by the elites, both the religious and political elites. What does that tell you about God? Well, to put, bring the point home, here's another question. Does the world respond to us the same way it responded to Jesus? Do we, are we an offense to the power, the, the corrupt powerful? Do they fear us? Are we on the side of the marginalized and the poor? Do we go out and reach out to those who have been left behind? It all starts with Jesus because Jesus is, he showed us by being with us, he showed us what God is like, who God is. And we may have had some misconceptions, but now that we have Jesus, now that we have the gospels, now that we have the tradition, we know that there are certain ways we ought to be and there are certain responses we should expect. The last question, what would Jesus do? Does anyone remember this? Reed, if I, have you ever seen uh, the What Would Jesus Do bracelet? You know what that is? Really? Ryder? WWJD bracelet? Yes, no, you know what that is? You do? Awesome. Well, I, maybe it's more, you, you got, are you wearing one right now? Oh, show it off. That's, that's dope. I love it. Oh, look at that. Hey, great news. Um, the, the guy who produces all those, uh, he was a buddy of mine from college. He made millions. So thank you for your continued patronage. Um, it was a little bit kitschy 15 years ago when it started. Uh, but the idea is like, you know, you're walking through life and you're asking yourself all the time. It's, it's on your wrist or it's on, on your, your neck. Just reminding you, what would Jesus do? Well, it's an interesting question. It's not actually that easy to answer sometimes. 
it's often difficult to know what Jesus would do. In order to know what Jesus would do, a lot of the times we need to study him. We need to live with him. We need to react and do life with him, trust him, be in relationship with him. Over time, we develop a sense for what Jesus would do. And are you doing that? Are we doing that? Are you deeply in relationship? Are you studying? Are you training? Are you following? Are you discipling? Because we've had the revelation of all revelations. God's with us. Let's go back to the text. He's spoken to us by his son, whom he appointed heir of all things, and through whom he also made the universe. That is a, that is a wild, wild statement. Okay, all things there, that means like everything, the whole universe. Jesus is the heir of the whole universe. And not only that, God made the universe through Jesus, not technically Jesus, second person of the Trinity, he's not Jesus until he's born to Mary. Jesus. What does that even mean? Well, the uh, greatest car I've ever owned uh, was the 1992 Mustang Convertible 5.0. I still get the shakes looking at pictures. It's gone now. My dad got it in uh, 1992, bought it new. And by turns, I loved that vehicle, but I also was traumatized by that vehicle. And the reason is, is that uh, my father was a cruel, cruel man who uh, forced me to do um, chores all day on Saturday every week. That included vacuuming the house, dusting the house, dusting first, then vacuuming, I think. Cleaning up the backyard, cleaning up the dog poop, and then the coup d'etat, washing and waxing the 5.0 Mustang. This was an onerous task. That's why my cars are dirty, because like I said, I'm traumatized, and the idea of washing them now just makes me, but I remember the way I got through it. Uh, Back in the day, um, it was harder to listen to music than it is now, and so we, we had these things called cassettes. Olivia, do you know what a cassette is? No, it's like a little rectangle, and on it has tape, and when the tape, I don't know, spins, and the science happens and then music comes out and uh and in order to get music on these tapes we had a thing called the radio fm and so we would listen we'd wait for the song that we wanted and then we would press on our cassette thing the record button and and we would record the song and then we would stop it and then we would wait for the next song that we like and do the same thing so for me it was like Soundgarden, pearl jam nirvana all that and then we had these things that you couldn't, we didn't have phones back then, but we had these like even bigger, blockier things called Walkman. Yeah, made by Sony. And they were big enough you could fit the cassette in them and then they would play music back to you. So very, it was very archaic. Um, don't know how we made it. But I remember to this day, like just pressing the play button and listening to Smells Like Teen Spirit as I was like waxing that car. Wax on, wax off. Red hot chili peppers. Okay, I can keep going. Yes. All right. For five years, I did that. Every single Saturday. And then in 1997, I turned 16. And for my birthday, my dad said, the car is yours. And it looked brand new because we'd taken such good care of it. 
there were kids that got really expensive trucks and whatnot at my high school. I went to a high school with a bunch of rich kids, but nobody, nobody had a 5.0 convertible. And man, that was fun. The second person of the Trinity is the one through whom God works. So God, the Father, wills, and then Jesus executes. Jesus is the one in the power of the Spirit who does the will of the Father. And creation is part of that will. But the, the, the surprise is not only is the second person the one through whom, who does the work, the second person is also the one who receives the, the results of that work as, as birthright, as Lord, as King. So the entire universe, that is, you know, you, me, the building, the land, America, the earth, the solar system, the galaxies, all of it, all of it is made through Jesus. And then at the end of all things, it returns to him. He receives it as Lord and King. And so he puts the work in on all of us. He's there through our conception, through our birth, through our lives. He is a part of our life. He's, he's pulling and, and changing us. He's, he's, he's gives us his life and uh, in redemption at the cross. He puts in a ton of work, infinite amounts of work into every single one of us. Why? So that at the end of all things, he will receive us as a gift. And so he wants every single one of us to be sparkling. So the next thing you're note is, you were made through Jesus and for Jesus. Your destiny is to be his forever. And that should make us ask a couple of questions. What would you need to change to be the perfect gift for Jesus? Now, one thing to notice is that, remember, Jesus is the one doing the work, okay? It's not you. If you think that you can become what God wants to be, like, working real hard and putting your nose to the grindstone, that's not how grace works. That's not how Jesus works. Jesus is the one who does the work in the power of the Spirit. We're the ones who allow it to happen and participate in it. But if you're thinking about the fact that he will receive you at the end of all days— What is it right now that needs to shift, that needs to change so that you are the most beautiful 5-0 Mustang that could possibly be? And the, the next thing is this. How valuable do you think you are? Well, this is especially important for, um, the younger people here because we live in a culture now that, um, defines us by uh, what we look like, um, how many likes we get, how many mentions we get. And, and the, the winners, the people who are worth a lot, are the ones who get lots of those. And the losers are the ones who don't. And that's how we're taught to think about ourselves in, as, as a society. What, what our worth is based on the opinions of the people around us. Wrong! Your worth is bound up in that the creator of the universe, an infinite being of goodness and love, made you, is working on you, and will be your Lord forever. He is your king. He is your husband. He is your destiny. Who cares how many likes you get? When the king of the universe said, I made you 
and I love you. Let's go back uh, to the text. Oh, man, again, this is the part that's uh, probably from a hymn um, of the early church. The sun is the radiance of God's glory and the exact representation of his being, sustaining all things by his powerful word. If you've been in church for a while, you know that um, word is often translating the Greek word logos. This is not the case here. This is the standard word for word, hrema, which means like uh, a statement or an exclamation. It's literally saying that the son of God is sustaining, keeping the whole world working simply by speaking it. Saying the universe will continue today. I will continue the universe today. And that in the power of the spirit is enough for all of this to keep going. Most importantly in this text, he's the exact representation of God's being. When we look at Jesus, we know God. God's the creator. The universe reflects the creator. So follow me here. If you know Jesus, you know God. And if you know God, you know what the universe is like. You know the patterns and the rhythms and the, and, and the, the way the universe fits together. My great-grandfather, uh, he made puzzles in his dotage. I think he lived to be like 96, so he did really well. But periodically, when I was a kid, we would receive a box from him in Maine, and we would open it up, and there was these intricately carved little puzzle pieces. And he, he like, really did these very odd shapes. It was nothing like what you get when you buy um, a puzzle from the store. Very interesting. The problem was, he sent a box, and what was not included in the box was the picture of what all the puzzle pieces are supposed to look like when they're put together. Which made it a living hell trying to put these things. And my, and my mom was like, it's a gift from your great-grandfather. You got to do it. A thousand pieces. What makes puzzles doable is you, you get that picture. And you're like, oh, okay, I know I'm, I'm, I'm building, you know, the Eiffel Tower. Okay, great. So I need, if it looks like a tower, it's probably going to be in the middle. You know, and then that gives you a shape for how a puzzle's supposed to go. And without that, I was lost. Oh, by the way, he was a, he was a sadist. So like normally, <clears throat> normally, it's true. Normally, uh, when you have the ones with the straight edges, you know that's the outside, right? This guy, oh no, he would cut like this. And that tip right there would be part of the edge. I mean, it was, it was, vicious, it was brutal. You guys don't have sympathy? Really? I, I suffered. It's fine. But with that, if you have that picture, though, you know at least in a sense how things are going to start to fit. And when the author of Hebrews calls Jesus the exact representation of God's being, he's saying you can begin to understand how the universe is going to look if you study the nature and character of Jesus. This should be shocking to us because we're told that if you want to understand the universe, you do science. And I'm not knocking science. I love science. But what we're being told is that actually the way the universe is going to end up looking is like Jesus. Uh, theologians call it a, a Christ-shaped universe. The next thing you know, she's last thing you know, she's is this. The whole universe is made in Jesus' image. We can't understand it if we don't understand him first. So I, I'm going to give you a couple of examples here. All right? Uh, so the first one is this. 
Um, next slide, Marilyn. Do we see the patterns of Jesus' life and character in the world around us? Yes, we do. Have you noticed that dead things cause living things to grow? Is it not interesting that our spiritual life is built upon Jesus' death? Hmm. Another one. Have you noticed that if you don't parent your children, they will become awful? It takes the act of self-giving a lot of work to get our kids to head in the right direction. Self-giving love leads to thriving life. Another one. Union and joy in community. Isn't it interesting that most of us find our greatest purpose and meaning in deep community with people that we do our lives together with? And is it interesting that that's exactly how Jesus lived? Last. Breaking bread is the height of human union. Isn't it interesting that when we look at Jesus' life, we're always seeing him eating and drinking with people. And isn't it odd that human beings are at their most joyful, most complete, when we are eating and drinking together? What I'm saying is that, yeah, if you want to get to Mars, you're going to have to do a lot of math. But if you want to know how the universe is structured, if you want to know the rhythms and the patterns of life, if you want to know how the universe reflects God's character and nature, study Jesus. Because everything starts with him. Let's, uh, let's, let's end with that, that final bit um, in the text. After he had provided purification for sins, he sat down at the right hand of the majesty in heaven. So he became as much superior to the angels as the name he has inherited is superior to theirs. Part of what's happening here is that the author of Hebrews is trying to explain to um, other Jews how great, how much higher Jesus is than other things that they're aware of. Angels, kings, stuff like that. Priests, we'll see in a bit. But the signifying, the signal, the, the absolute capstone moment of Jesus' life and ministry is purification of sin. That, in, in, a, in a sense, earns him the right to sit at the Father's right hand. It's, it's the moment when the whole of the universe that's been distorted and set wrong begins to be set right. Um, we, uh, a couple weeks ago, our, our, a lot of our kids were at Forest Home. And, um, Marilyn, do you, do you have the, uh, we, Caden and Tori put together like a, a kind of, this is, this is a picture of Forest Home. Um, there's a lot of fun to be had on those things. And maybe we can see a little bit. Do you, do you have the video queued up? Let's, let's take it, let's take a look. Um, kind of recap Forest Home. Sing it out. It's an open heaven. You're releasing, and we will never be denied. Cause we're stirring up. Cause we're stirring up deep, deep wells. We're stirring up deep, deep water. 
Yeah, both our high school and junior high uh, campers won the trophy at the end of the week. So Coast Bible Church rocked Forest Home. And Forest Home is an amazing place. Like, there's so much uh, fun and that's, that's had there. Um, but there's also, there's a purpose to it all. And Forest Home has a thing called a decision night, where... Uh, during the day, we're having fun, but there's also, also these powerful messages. There's also a lot of testimony, witnessing. And the point is to get the students to recognize, like, this, it's, time to, it's time to make a decision about what I think about Jesus. And, and similarly, at the be- beginning of, of Hebrews, Hebrews 1, 1 to 4 is like, this is who Jesus is. This is why Jesus matters. And if that's the case, you have some serious decisions to make. 
And so Forest Home, they, they, they do basically three different questions that they ask students to, to say, hey, are you, are you ready to make some changes? So the first, the first question is, is this, have you started with Jesus? Have you begun? Have you trusted him? Have you, have you started this relationship with Jesus? Maybe you've been in church for a really long time. Maybe you haven't. But have you ever come to this place where you say, Jesus, I am trusting you for forgiveness, and I want to try to follow you? If Jesus really is the, the exact representation of God's being, then we better decide whether or not we're going to start with him. And so I'm going to pray in a second, and I'm going to, I'm going to say, hey, if there's some of you who have never actually begun with Jesus, you've never asked for him to, to redeem you, you've never asked uh, to trust in him, just pray with me. The second uh, question they ask at Forest Home is, do you need a restart? Maybe, yeah, you started out with Jesus. But somewhere along the way, that glorious light, you kind of started stepping out of it and st- started stepping into darkness. Maybe you, you started out with Jesus and you knew him really well, but now you're not sure you recognize him anymore. And you need to say, I gotta, I gotta get a re, I gotta get a reset. I gotta start over. If that's you and, and you're confronted with this person, Jesus, who is the exact representation of God's being, the glorious majesty of God with us, if that's, if you need a restart, I'm gonna pray. Pray with me. The last question is this. What about next steps? Um, maybe you've, been with Jesus and you're still with Jesus, but there is something in your life that needs to leave or something you need to add, something that the next step along the way, he's, he's a little bit ahead and you're hesitant to, to step with him because you're scared. Maybe you have things kind of comfortable right now and, and you don't want to shake things up. I confess to you, this is what's going on with me. I'm, uh, I'm, I, I, I'm very comfortable. <laughs> uh, I, I like things the way they are. Um, one of the things that I, those of you who know, I, I, have, I struggle with anxiety. I have an anxiety disorder. And it can be very challenging. And one of the things I've noticed or started to find out about myself, um, I'm meeting with this mentor, pastor, and one of the things we've talked about is how um, because I endure that, I call it my, my thorn in the flesh, because I, I put up with it and I stick with it even though um, it's really hard sometimes, I, I feel like in my heart that gives me kind of a, like a pass of like any other type of like discipleship. Uh, I'm like, I'm like, oh, well, you know, I did this. I deserve to be happy the rest of the time when I'm not battling that, that anxiety. I, I, I'm owed <laughs> uh, that. And, and that, that's, I think I've been, a, I think working through it, but I, I think that might be something that's holding me back from making another step in, in faith. If that's you, 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 yeah, you're still with Jesus. You're still following, but man, there's, there's, a, there's a step there that you know you got to take. I'm going to pray. Pray with me. Gracious God and Father, we praise you for the glory and the majesty of your son, Jesus. The one responsible for purification of sins. The one who shows us exactly what you're like. The one who's with us. God, if, if we've never started with Jesus, if we've never said, Jesus, I trust you and I want to follow you, let's pray that now. Jesus, I trust you to forgive me for my, my sins and I want to start living in your light. I'm tired of the dark. I'm tired of not understanding how the world is fit and, and supposed to work together and I want to know you. Take my life.
And God, some of us, um, some of us, we've started with Jesus, but we've, we've, we've got off the path. And we're stumbling in the dark a little bit. And we miss it. We miss living in the light, even though sometimes it's hard. And so Jesus, we're asking for a restart. Uh, a new chance to, to, to go back to the way things were when we're first in love. Cleanse us from unrighteousness and bring us um, close to you to follow you. And God, some of us, um, we're scared. We're scared to take the next step. If we're honest, we're a little bit complacent. But we know that you have wild new things, new things to show us. We know that you are glorious, Jesus, and, and, and we can participate in that if, if we have the strength and the courage from your spirit to do it. So Jesus, we ask you for that strength and that courage. We ask you for a measure of your spirit to, to take the next step, to let go or to bring on. And God, all of us, we thank you for the gift of your son. We thank you that everything starts with him, everything ends with him. That we are created through him and for him and are destined to live in joyful communion for all of eternity. Jesus, in your name we pray. Amen.